So this morning, as Lance said, we're starting a new series called Getting God Out of the Box, where we want to, like he said, take out out of the boxes that we have created for him, where we've categorized him and, and maybe have put him in boxes of, of our own misconceptions of him. And so throughout the next few weeks, we're going to look at different aspects of God, different characteristics that the Bible talks about. And today is kind of the setup for that, uh, for that whole series. And we're going to look at some fundamental things. You know, the, the song, you might have thought if you were visiting here or if you're visiting for the first time and you heard the first song and you heard her sing, I don't believe in Jesus, you might have thought, whoa, am I in the right place? Um, obviously, that didn't represent what she believes or what we believe. It was what John Lennon sang. And didn't you, I just loved having her sing a John Lennon song and we have uh, had Paul McCartney at the keyboards. Did you notice that? Yeah. Anyway, so the song is called God. It's called God and John Lennon sang I don't believe in magic. I don't believe in I Ching. I don't know what that is. Anybody else? I Ching? Anyway, he didn't believe in it. I don't believe in the Bible. I don't believe in Tarot and Hitler. I don't believe in Jesus. Don't believe in Kennedy and Buddha, Mantra, Yoga, Elvis. Not even in the Beatles. That was weird. And then he says, I just believe in me, Yoko and me, because that's reality. And then he goes on to say, the dream is over. What can I say? The dream is over. I just believe in me, Yoko and me, because that's reality. That's reality. And I think, let me, actually, let me say this about this message today. This was probably the most difficult message for me to ever prepare. Um, it's been a tough week for me in general. And, and then this topic, what we're talking about today is really deeply theological, very um, intellectual and philosophical. And that's not me. So they were thinking, uh, intellectual message, who could do that? Christian. Uh, he's from Europe. Uh, I got stuck with that. But I just want you to know, I'm, I've really wrestled with this and, and I'm not sure how polished this will be because I'm still processing a lot. So I just want to invite you to, to process that with me um, this morning. So he's saying that's reality, Yoko and me. That's what he believes in because it's reality. And I think reality is really what we want to believe in. We want to believe in something that's real, right? We don't want to believe in lies. See, when we say I believe in God or I believe in Jesus, what are we really saying? We're saying, I believe that God is real. I believe that Jesus is real, that they are reality. That's what we're saying. And what we believe about God, what we believe to be true about God, has tremendous effects on our lives. That's why it is so important what we believe about God and that we believe what's right about God. Because what we believe about him affects our decisions. It, it affects the path in life that we take. It affects the moral values that we choose, the decisions that we make. And in the Matrix video, and, and that's a great movie. Just see, I haven't seen it in years. Just seeing that clip makes me want to see it again. And the sequels weren't so great. But uh, in the Matrix here, in the beginning, Neo meets Morpheus and he has to decide. And what he has to decide is, do I believe that there is an ultimate reality? Do I believe that there is something true? Is there truth outside of what I'm experiencing? And he doesn't just have to decide, do I believe there is something else? He has to decide, do I actually want to know it? Do I actually have the courage to leave behind what I think I know 
And am I, am I willing to, to really dive into what is really true and what is really real? And he made that decision not to continue to live in an illusion, in a, in a life made up of lies. And that's really what we want to explore together this morning. Is there an ultimate reality? Is there ultimate truth? And can we know it? And do we really want to? So in order to, to explore those questions, we're going to have to make a couple of assumptions just simply because of the, the time frame that we have this morning. We have 35 minutes, so we, we can only scratch the surface anyway. But we're going to have to make a couple of assumptions as we explore this together. The first assumption is that there actually is a God. All right? I'm going to assume there is a God. And for this morning, I'm also going to assume that the Bible is his word for us. And since we are a church, I, I feel like those are actually legitimate assumptions to make this morning. Maybe another day we can actually explore those questions on their own a little bit. So let's dive in together, but before we do that, I'd really like to pray because I know I need God's help with this this morning. Lord, I had uh, to thank you for this morning. I thank you so much, Lord, for your goodness. I thank you that you are true that you are real. I thank you that you love us and that you want us to know truth about you. So I just pray this morning, Father, that, uh, that you would have your way, that, that you would speak, that my um, limitations wouldn't get in the way of your message um, this morning, Lord. And I pray that, that we would walk away with a deep, deep desire to mo know you more, to know you more truthfully, and to let your truth transform our lives. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I want to take you to a passage that's um, going to be the central passage for us this morning, and it's in Colossians. It's in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Paul writes this. He, talking about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones of powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. I'm going to look at three truths about God in this passage. And the first one that the Bible talks about is that God is the creator, the builder, the inventor of everything we see and experience it tells us that God created everything. And that, that truth about God that the Bible tells us about is, is totally challenged in our culture, isn't it? In our generation. You know, I know growing up um, throughout the German school system, and when we looked at, at, at biology, and I th the, the assumption was always there is no God. The assumption was always this just happened. This just happened by chance without intelligent design. And I just want to get into that for a second. I um, have a picture here. If you ever uh, come to my house, you will see this, this picture of a little French street and cafe on our family room wall. But imagine you, you go out on a hike in the wilderness of Utah somewhere up the mountains, in the woods, and you're all by yourself, there's nobody around, maybe no one's ever been there before, and all of a sudden you stumble on this picture in a frame, in the middle of nowhere, sitting there. 
What's your, your, the first question that comes to your mind? What, what, was, what would your, be your question? What, what's that picture doing here? And? How did it get here? And who, put, who, who painted this? Right? The, the assumption would be, who painted, or the, the question would be, who painted it and how did it get here? What, what is it doing here? Assuming there is somebody, there must be somebody, who painted this building or who put it here, right? Or lost it here. The assumption is there was somebody at some point who thought of this. Who thought of, of this picture. Who thought of what he wanted to put down on that canvas of the details and the colors and, and what he wanted to communicate with this picture. It's a natural assumption that we would make in that situation. Yet, when it comes to creation, when it comes to earth, when it comes to our universe, our, our solar system, our bodies, our organisms, plants, somehow we don't get to that assumption in Christians, well, somebody must have thought of that. The assumption is, oh, this, this must have just happened on, on over time by chance. And if we compare this picture, as pretty as it is, by the way, it's very cheap. It's cut out of some calendar and framed, but, um, <laughs> but it's a really pretty picture. I like it. When it comes to the earth, the solar system, that is infinitely complicated and intricate. When, has anyone seen the movie Earth? It's, it's like a year, year and a half ago. I think Disney put it out. It's pretty much just an hour and a half of scenes from all over the world. From different, just showing the variety of, of desert and, and rainforest and oceans and mountains and just the beauty and all of the diversity and the colors and just incredible. And so we, we look at that and somehow most of us today can come away from that thing, oh yeah, that, that just kind of happened without somebody actually thinking about it, designing it with love for detail and beauty and then actually creating it with a purpose. When we look at, at our human body, just simply our body and how it works, how complicated it is and how it functions together when it does that right and when we, when we treat it right. I mean, just simply the brain. We can, and with all the advances in science that we have made, we cannot understand and explain how the brain works. What's most amazing to me about our body is, is the eye. And then we have this little rubbery-like ball, actually two, if, uh, most of us, uh, in, our, in our skull, and somehow it catches light and the reflection of light and somehow through these nerves in our brain that's transformed into actually perceiving each other and, and pictures and colors. Isn't that amazing? See, just like with this picture, my assumption is somebody painted this. This didn't just come together like this. I can't help but look at what exists at nature and at, at, at us as humans, and not come to that conclusion. To me, it takes infinitely, infinitely more faith to believe that everything we see, including us as humans, just evolved by chance without intelligent design and a creator who created us with a purpose. The Bible tells us that God 
is the creator of everything that was created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. There is a creator God. That's our presumption for the rest of this morning. See, and if there is a creator God, if there is an intelligent being who, who thought of this and created it, then there has got to be an ultimate purpose. If there is somebody who had the power and authority to create all of this, to speak this, you and me, into existence, then he must have ultimate authority. And then there must be ultimate truth. There must be things that are true and that are not true. There must be right and there must be wrong. And so in order to know truth, for us to live in truth, just like Neo wanted and made the decision to want to live in truth, if we really want to live in truth and know truth, we must know the one who created us. Because only he knows the ultimate purpose. And he knows right from wrong and truth from lies. And that's why it is so absolutely important that we believe right about God. Now let me just say this. We as K2, me and Lad and Dave and all of us, we, we don't claim to have a monopoly on knowing everything that's right about God. Let me just tell you that. We are all on a journey to pursue what's true and right about God so that we can know what's true and right about our lives and about our purpose. But because, because I believe that God is the ultimate authority, it makes me pursue him and pursue what's true and make a commitment to that. And that's what I hope this morning will do to you. Not that we walk away thinking, oh, we know everything that's right about God. We won't until we, we actually get to him and see him face to face. But what he wants from us is a commitment to pursue what's true about him for the rest of our lives. Again, what we believe about God is of absolute importance because it affects the rest of our lives, and we see this all around us. See, there's people who believe that God favors one race over another. What does that, what they believe about God do to their lives? It makes them view other races in a certain way and makes them treat people that are different in a certain way. It's based on something they believe to be true about God. If we believe that God is a macho chauvinist who favors men over women, then that will show in our actions in the way we as men view women and treat women. It's based on what we believe about God. If we believe God to be a vengeful being who's, who's only out to slap us on the wrist and to punish us, then that's going to affect the decisions that we make and it's going to affect the way we view other people's decisions and actions. Does that make sense? What we believe about God drives everything else. John Piper, an uh, evangelical theologian, who's way too difficult for me to read, but I got this quote. He said, To think correctly about God is to have everything right. To think wrongly about God is to get everything wrong. So it's extremely important that we pursue what's true about God. But it's extremely important that we do that also in humility. But God is our creator. He's the ultimate authority and he is the keeper of ultimate truth. I want to go back to the Colossians passage, 15 and, and 16. Uh, let me read 16 again. 
I know if we can put that whole passage back up again. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. In 16, we see this by him twice in English. It says by him twice, right? What's interesting is that second by him actually isn't the same word as the first by him. The first one talks about it was created by he was the one who actually did the creating. The second by would be much better translated as it was created in him. All things were created in him or out of him would be a much better translation actually of this. So the second truth that we want to look at or that I want to look at with you this morning that that. Truth and reality is found in God. What he has created, everything that has been created has come out of his very being. And so everything that was created reflects truth about him. Um, Romans 1.20 has a very interesting thing to say about that. Romans 1.20 says this, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Isn't that interesting? Basically what Paul is saying here to the Romans is that even if you've never heard about Jesus, you've never read anything about God, you've never read scripture, you're without excuse in terms of what you can know about God. You can't walk away and say, well, nobody's ever told me I know nothing about God. He said creation speaks loud and clear to at least two things. That God has eternal power and that there is a divine nature that is revealed about God in his creation. Isn't that interesting? Everything that's come out of God reflects him and tells us something about him. Just like a painting or a poem or a book that somebody has written always tells us something about the person that has created that. Right? This picture tells us something about the person that, that painted this. It tells us this person has, has a gift. First of all, it tells us they, they are great with, with colors and imagination. And, and so things that, that we create as humans tell others something about us. And it's no different with God's creation. Actually, in Genesis 1, when God created man, he tells us he created man what? In his image. And then he says, man and woman he created in his image, meaning we're supposed to be an image of God. We're supposed to be a reflection of what's true about God. By, by observing you and me, people should l be able to learn things about our creator. Now, sin has put a serious dent in that, but that's our purpose. And what's really interesting in this, and this reflects a little bit also on our men's conference, both men and women are created in God's image. There are certain qualities about God that are reflected in his male image. And there's other qualities that are reflected in the female image. Both man and female are created in God's image and reflect truths about God and his character. But nobody reflected it as well as Jesus. And we read that in verse 15 of the passage that we're looking at today here in Colossians 1, 15, 16. Let me read 15 again. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So if we think about Genesis, it says, you and I were made in God's image. 
But Jesus is God's image. See, that's the big difference between you and me and Jesus. We, our purpose was and is to reflect God. But because of sin in our lives, we, we will never do that right and perfectly. Hopefully, hopefully we're allowing God the room in our lives to help us with it and to increasingly fulfill that purpose. But Jesus is, he was and is the image of God, the perfect image of God that's not corrupted by sin and, and the things of this world. He's the perfect image of God. He personified what's true about God. You know, in, in our culture, this was very much true for me growing up in Europe. Maybe that's more true there than here in the U.S., but I, I, I don't know, actually. But faith has become so subjective and personalized, hasn't it? I know in, in, in Germany, we often, you know, when, when you want to talk to people about faith, it's like, no, no, that's personal. That's, no, let's not go there. It's two things you don't talk about in Germany, money and faith. You don't talk about money, you have it. That's a, a saying we have. And faith is something you just don't talk about faith. That's personal. You keep that to yourself, and, and I have mine. It's very personal. You know, we talked about, Lad talked in the beginning about us wanting to take God out of, out of the box, out of the box of, of our picture of him. Because what's really happened, even though God has created us in his image, we have begun to create God in our image, haven't we? We make up God to, to whatever we want him or, or need him to be. And that's apparently okay. You know, yeah, God is whatever you want to believe. That's good for you. I, I, I think God is this and that's good for me. And, and you're good and I'm good. It's very subjective and, and personalized. One time I saw a bumper sticker in, on a car that said, when God made men, she didn't know what she was doing. Um, so for that person, clearly God, God was a woman. And uh, by the way, God has no gender. Um, but we really create a God to whatever we feel we need him to be. That's our culture. That's what we're encouraged to do. But really, and this might be a lame example, but let's take somebody in authority. Let's take the president of the United States. By us saying, well, I believe God is this and I believe God is this, it would be like saying, well, I believe the president is a, uh, a white Republican. And then somebody else says, no, I, no, I believe the, the president is a female Democrat. Well, I believe the president just did away with all taxes. And that's why I'm not paying any. And so all these things contradict each other and we act uh, upon them. But boy, I'm telling you, if, if your concept of the president and the decisions he makes and the law he enforces or not is, is not lined up with reality, you're going to run into serious problems, wouldn't you? See, and it's the same with God. If we make up a God that isn't reality and we act and live based on that, we're going to run into problems. I brought a book for you today that I ran into last summer on vacation. And at first I thought it was a joke, and I laughed so hard. It's called The Savvy Convert's Guide to Choosing a Religion. Compare and contrast before you commit. And this really sold it to me, most approved by God. I thought, okay, you know, that, uh, that's got to be it. And so what they, have, they have 99 religions compared in here, and each one, so uh, this is just this is awesome. I gotta, so they are listed... Um, and then they have perks and drawbacks for each religion. And then they have a quick rating where they rate 
from one to five, conversion difficulty, the time commitment, and the cost. How much money this is going to cost you. So I'm just going to share a few with you to give you a few options here this morning. So Protestantism, that's what we would fall under. Okay, um, Perks of Protestantism only have two sacraments, baptism and communion. Catholics have seven, so we only have two. It's good. Faith is only requirement for heaven. Uh, that's a good one. That's a perk. And another perk, least likely to be persecuted in the West. All right, so it's safe. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> now here are the drawbacks. Eucharist is usually non-alcoholic. Okay, that, that's talking about the Lord's Supper. You know, That's apparently a drawback to them. Um, another drawback is being born a sinner can lead to self-esteem problems. And, and here's the one I like most. The biggest drawback of Protestantism is Christian rock. Um, another one. Okay, let's look at atheism. All right. Perks of atheism is no hell. That's good. Another perk is Sunday mornings are free. Another perk, and I like this. My wife is from France. It says, uh, could feel at home in France <laughs> as an atheist. Here are the drawbacks. So you've got to consider these. No heaven. And atheists are historically burned at the stake. So that's a drawback you might uh, want to consider. Um, I, I just got to do a, two, a couple more. I, um, uh, Judaism, perks, Hanukkah presents given eight nights in a row. Serious drawback for all us men, lobster and bacon, not kosher. Okay. And then let's do one more. Pentecostalism. Um, Perks, miracles happen, drawbacks, televangelists, okay? So, this reflects our culture, doesn't it? We choose faith based on what suits us, what suits our personality and our perceived needs. We don't choose faith anymore based on truth. And then the absolute kicker is, there's a bonus in here, plus how to start your own religion in case you don't find an exact fit. <laughs> and this is not a joke. They have a, a detailed, detailed in-depth list and, and guide to starting your own religion. Isn't that incredible? If you don't find something that suits you out of the 99, you start your own. That is so funny at first, and then really scary, and then really sad. Because it reflects the culture that we live in. We choose faith based on personal preference, not based on truth. Because there is this notion that there is no ultimate truth. That what's true for you might not be true for me. And people that argue that forget that the very statement, there is no ultimate truth, assumes there is an ultimate truth, namely that there is no ultimate truth. So it makes sense? That's as intellectual as I'm going to get this morning. So the whole, the whole argument of no ultimate truth is faulty in itself. We make up our own version of God according to what we think he should be, according to what we think he should do for us. And we create a God. By doing that, we create a God that doesn't exist. And we expect him to do things that he won't do because he isn't the God that we make him up to be. And then we walk away disillusioned and accuse him of not, of not serving us. But we had created a God that, that never promised the things we wanted him to do. That's why it is so important that we believe what's true about God. And that's why I 
We need to look at the Bible, which, which we, again, assume and believe to be the Word of God, what he, what he has given us to reveal Himself outside of His creation. And everything it tells us, everything that exists, comes out of God's truth and out of who He is. I want to read Proverbs um, 8 to you. Proverbs 8 explains this very good, this concept of everything coming out of God. Let me find Proverbs I should have put a sticky note in there. Here we are. Proverbs 8. Um, I believe we will have this up on the screen. Verses 22 through 35. Here we are. Proverbs 8, starting in verse 22. The Lord... Okay, let me set this up. What, what this proverb is talking about, it's talking about wisdom. Wisdom and truth. Okay, so truth and wisdom is what is described in this proverb. The Lord brought me, truth, forth as the first of his works. Before his deeds of old, I was appointed from eternity, from the beginning, before the world began. When there was no oceans, I was given birth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the earth or its fields or any of the dust of the world, I was there when he set the heavens in place. When he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was the craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not ignore it. Blessed is the man or woman, that's my addition, who listens to me watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorstep, for whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. This is talking about truth. It says, whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. In connection with that, I want to read Colossians 2 to you. And I know we have a lot of, we don't have this on the screen, but let me read Colossians 2, 2 and 3. It says, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So let, let me try and connect these thoughts, all right? So Proverbs talks about that truth and wisdom was there from the beginning, before the beginning. It was part of creation and, and, and present at creation the whole time. And then in Colossians 2, we see Jesus identified as the holder of all wisdom and knowledge. You see, all truth is revealed through, about God through his creation and ultimately in Jesus. Ultimately, what we need to know about God is revealed in Jesus. He is the key to understanding what's true about God. And that's why, that's why in the New Testament, Jesus can say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father. No one knows the Father except through me. 
See, Jesus is the way because through him and only through him can we find God and, and begin to understand and know truth about God. And Jesus is the truth because he revealed God's character. And Jesus is life because as we just read in, in, in Proverbs 8.35, if we find truth, we find life. If we find Jesus, we find life the way God designed it for you and me. See, everything we know about God, everything he's created came out of him and it's supposed to lead us to the ultimate truth, which is Jesus. And then back to our original passage here in Colossians 1, 15, 16. So God created everything. Everything we need to, we see come, came right out of his being and, and reveals him to us. Essentially, Jesus does. And then in the, in the very end of verse 16, everything was created not just by him or in him, but for him. Everything was created for him. See, and this so flies into the face of the notion of us making up our God the way we want him or need him to be. Because that whole notion of, of, of creating this God that, that we like is a notion of it's all about me. Isn't it? That's really at the essence of that. It's all about me, and I need a God that feeds into that. And it flies right into the face of what the Bible reveals about God. And we say this a lot at K2, and I want to say it again. It is not about you, and it is not about me. It is about God, and it is about his son Jesus Everything that is created, it says, everything that's been created is for him. And you know what? As I thought about this, that's true for us, really. If we, humans are creative, aren't we? I mean, if you see what we have been able to create, uh, just the technology that we have now, it's just incredible. But pretty much everything that humankind has invented, created, come up with, ultimately was for us, wasn't it? I mean, a picture is drawn for, for our enjoyment and, and to look at it, maybe sometimes to provoke us, but it's for us. Most, most of the things that have been created are for our, either for our convenience, our enjoyment, our comfort, or for profit, right? But it serves the creator. But somehow we don't afford God that right. We think, nah, nah, it's all about me. I believe that's, that's really a creator's prerogative to have creation be about him. My dad was an architect. I worked with him for three years, and, and I just loved seeing him put his thoughts on, this, on these papers. And back then, we didn't use computers yet. We actually, I learned to, to draw, you know, with those ink pens on these, this funny paper. And I just loved seeing my dad with a blank piece of paper just start putting his, his idea for what this building should look like on an initial sketch. And, and my, my dad had the right to decide What's this going to look like? How are we going to structure this? How is this going to serve its purpose best? And he got to decide that. Not the paper, not the building that we were going to build. He got to decide that. And so did God. And yet even, even often in our pursuit of God, as people who love him and, and want to pursue him, even in our pursuit of God, isn't our pursuit often based on what, what we can get out of it? what we can get and receive from God. Now we often, sometimes, hear from people that, that leave church that, yeah, I just didn't get anything out of it anymore. 
And yet, yeah, we, we are charged as leaders in this church to, to teach, and, and hopefully we do that with integrity. But church isn't about you, and it's not about me. It's about Him. And our pursuit of Him should lead to Him being glorified, not to us being satisfied primarily. A few weeks ago, I quoted at the North Campus in the, in the shorter um, Westminster Catechism, it says, our chief end as man, our purpose is to glorify Him and then to enjoy Him forever. See, the beauty of, of God's creation is that He thought about what's best for you and for me so that we don't have to anymore, so that we can enjoy Him and glorify Him knowing that putting Him first is actually best for us. Another theologian, Grudem, not Gruden, not the football uh, analyst, but Grudem with an M. He said the motive of creation for God, the motive of creation was his gracious willingness to share his goodness with creation. See, that's why he created you and me, so that he can pour out his goodness and love over your life and my life. And as I was thinking about that, goodness really isn't goodness if it isn't shared, is it? Let's just assume I'm a good person. Let's just assume that. Let's assume I, I'm full of goodness. I know it's highly hypothetical, but let's just do that for now. If all I do is sit on my sofa and watch football, that goodness that's there is never going to be expressed or experienced by others, which doesn't make it good at all, is it? Goodness is only experienced and expressed and true if it's, if it's expressed and shared with others. And that was God's purpose in creation, to share His love, the abundance of His love and goodness with you and in me, with me. And He wants us to enjoy Him, but He knows that that can only happen if He's first. See, He created us. He's got the manual to your life and to my life. And we ignore it. We assume we know. We know better. We know what we're... And we look at us and we can make assumptions. And again, that's true for anything that's created. If, if we use things that have been created outside of what they were created for, it's extremely frustrating, isn't it? Have you ever done that? Here's a silly example. Let's take a baseball bat. What's a baseball bat for? Come on, let's do this a little. It's to hit something. What, what is it there for? To hit Ideally a ball, a baseball. That's the primary function, right? So it's there to hit a ball. Well, so I could go take this and say, oh yeah, this is obviously made to hit a ball. Great. But I'm German, I'm not American, so I don't know or understand baseball. So I'm just going to play tennis with this because it's made to hit a ball, right? And that's what you do in tennis. You take a racket or a bat, whatever, and you hit a ball. You ever try that? I, I challenge you to a, a baseball bat tennis match. You know what that's going to be for both of us? hilarious for a while and then extremely frustrating because you can't hit that ball right you can't give it direction you can't use it for playing tennis it's, just, it's frustrating and that's what our lives will be if they are exercised outside of God's design for you and for me and he has revealed it he has revealed himself and his will for you and for me and you know Again, I, I don't have all the answers. I have more questions than answers. I don't know everything that's true about God. But I know He loves me. And I am just in awe of Him having given me life. He's the source of my life. He's the source of your life. 
And isn't that enough for him to deserve worship and to deserve honor from us and to deserve submission to him? I'm in awe that I am loved by him in spite of myself. Aren't you? And you know, it's, it's awfully obvious to me that I'm not God, that he is. And yet so often we live our lives as if we are, as if we know everything and, and are in charge. And you know, realizing those things, that he's given me life, that he loves me, that he knows what's, be what's best, leads me to, to humility and to, to a desire to know him more, to know what's true about him so that I can live my life in truth and in dependence to him and, and reciprocating the love that he's put out to me. I want to close with one more verse from uh, Revelation 4.11. Revelation 4.11 says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For, meaning because you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Read it one more time. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power because you created all things. I stopped by 7-Eleven this morning to get some... Uh, Valentine's Day M&M's because they're red. I was going to put a bowl of M&M's up here, red ones, so that you could actually pick a red pill if you wanted to this morning. <laughs> But we can't. But that's really what we have to decide. At some point in our lives, we have to decide, picture symbolically, am I going to take this red pill? And I like that it's red because we could say it symbolizes Jesus' blood. Because it's by Jesus' blood and his sacrifice that we can really pursue and know truth. And that's what we have to decide. Do we really want to know truth? Are we willing to take God out of the box that we've created for him? Many of us have made a decision to pursue God. But maybe, I'm sure, a lot of us, probably all of us, have, have God in some kind of box that we put him in because of what we would like him to be and, and do for us. Are we willing this morning to make a renewed commitment to pursue truth and take him out of our body? And I know that can be scary. Really, trust me, I know. But are we willing for him to fill this white canvas and let him fill in the blanks of what's true about him and how he wants to affect our lives, your life and my life, with his truth? So I just want to encourage you to kind of take inventory today and over the next few weeks as we try together to take God out of that box. Now we really committed to pursuing Him and pursuing truth. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I, I'm just so in awe that you have chosen to share your goodness and your love with us. I'm in awe that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us that we can actually know you, the creator of the universe and everything that exists, and that you are interested in each of us individually. 
And that your truth, that through your truth and your love, you want to affect and change our lives so that we can live lives of truth and of true purpose and meaning in you. And so, God, I pray that, that you would soften our hearts, that, that we would be willing to take you out of the box that we've put you in. Because I don't want a God that I can put in a box. Lord, and I pray that over the next few weeks, you would help all of us together to discover what's true about you. Pray that in Jesus' name.